0: Hey guys, you're listening to Winging It with Holly. In this podcast series, I'll be sharing the fun and interesting things I've learned about birds since I started really noticing them five years ago. I'm no expert though, so along the way I'll be picking the brains of my knowledgeable birdie friends, the human ones that is, so we can learn and wing it together. You can see birds anywhere, in a city or the countryside, watching from a balcony or your local park. And I'm hoping these short episodes will help you notice and learn more about our feathered friends, especially if you have never taken the time to get to know them before. Red kites are one of our most striking and widespread birds of prey, but did you know they almost went extinct in the UK a few decades ago and we wouldn't be seeing them now if it wasn't for a reintroduction program that took place in the 80s. So, in this episode, I chat to my Auntie Karen, who was involved in this work to bring them back from the brink. So um, today I am at RSPB Pulverbrook's Nature Reserve with my auntie Karen um, who I want I want to talk to you today Karen about red kites uh, because so red kites are one of our most I think distinguishable and beautiful birds of prey that we get here in the UK. Their wings are kind of quite angular and uh, they're the the key thing is that their tails are forked and we don't there aren't really any other birds of prey in the UK that have that forked tail um so that's like the key thing to look out for Um they're very very, very clearly very special birds um but many people don't know that they have in I think what was the 19th and also into the 20th century they almost were at the point of extinction Um, so correct me if I'm wrong (laughs) Um, but yeah they were persecuted by humans Um, uh, yeah almost to the point of extinction in the UK with the exception of a small group that remained in Wales and I understand that in the late 80s two conservation organizations uh, set up a reintroduction program to help reintroduce and re-establish the presence of these wonderful birds, which, you know, they wouldn't have almost disappeared in the first place if it wasn't for humans. So it was um, a sort of interve- intervention that was necessary because, it, you know, they shouldn't have been going. It wasn't a natural thing that they were almost no, going extinct. No, um, you're the, the perfect person to talk to about this because you were there at the time and you were you were working uh, with one of these organisations. Organizations that uh, introduced this program and so you were there when this was all happening. So yeah I want to start there if that's okay with your career in well I think it was wildlife crime so you were uh, you were kind of like a police officer for for wildlife
1: is that fair to say? Uh, you could say I specialized on wildlife law <laughs> yes uh, for 10 years um, I worked um, investigating wildlife crime and we obviously concentrated on the rarer birds of prey and the types of persecution we were seeing was illegal shooting illegal poisoning illegal taxidermy people collecting their eggs egg collecting was still a big thing back in the 1980s it's hard to believe now i know Um, but um yeah the red kite was um a a bird that was was actually extinct in england and scotland and, and there was a tiny population left in Wales and that was it which
0: is kind of insane to think because I mean I've, I feel in a way very lucky to to say that I've never known that extent uh, sort of uh, extent of extinction that extinction if that makes sense what I mean is I've always seen lots of red kites yeah. around uh, but that wasn't always the case yeah. um, so before we go any further let's talk about red kites and um, so that people know exactly what we're talking about um, they're a bird of prey yes they behave quite like buzzards um do you mind elaborating a little bit on what i mean by that (laughs)
1: um in that they are opportunistic feeders they will eat just about anything so they're not fussy Um, they fly around they look for things that they could possibly catch small animals they're not they're not going to take anything big Uh, rabbits um, maybe rodents but largely what they're looking for are things that are already dead they're looking for carrion Um, not necessarily um, you know meaty things they'll frogs you know anything that they can pick up and eat they also spend a lot of time on the ground eating worms beetles and insects so this is a bird which by its very nature should be very successful throughout Europe it is very successful it's everywhere and when in medieval times in this country they were everywhere there are stories about them um, picking up rubbish left in the streets of London so they were obviously living in cities alongside people and even in in Massive cities like Delhi in India, there is a type of kite uh, very closely related to the the red kite, the black kite. And they do live on rubbish heaps in these massive metropolitan cities. So this, this is a bird that should be very successful. But um, it, there was, at one time, it was a protected bird. Even back in the sort of, just before the 16th century, it was a protected bird. But then after... Um, in in about sixteen, the early sixteen hundreds, um, they put a bounty on it for some reason. They believed that they were responsible for actually hunting um, people's livestock, so they put a bounty on it, and everybody went out killing them. And that slaughter, that that unregulated slaughter of these birds, the killing of the birds, the the destroying of their nests, the the taking of their eggs, uh, that went on right up until the early part of the 20th century so that by about the early part of the 1900s they were extinct in england extinct in scotland and they existed only a small population existed in uh, Mm mid-wales and that was it Um, and they'd gone from everywhere else and that is extraordinary for for what is a relatively short period of time Mm -hmm. for that bird to have been totally wiped out Mm. Um, ...throughout most of the UK. And back in the 1980s... ...when I was involved in in conservation... ...I was actually part of a group of people... ...who used to go to Mid Wales... ...and we would actually guard nests. Mm-hmm. The, we would sit under trees... Yeah. ...with electronic equipment... ...trying to make sure that egg collectors... ...and, and people who wanted to kill them... Mm-hmm. Uh, ...wouldn't actually disturb the birds... ...take their eggs... Mm-hmm. And, and and hurt the birds at all there were even occasions when the army would actually get involved they would they would set up an operation where people would have to be covertly you know living in the forest for maybe a couple of weeks so it would tie in with a little bit of nest watching and there have been there were occasions when the army would be guarding the nests of particularly rare birds including red kites which seems crazy now it does but and also so so going back to the the the,
0: the bounty that started all of this just to be clear like what what were the main reasons people put it? because it was killing things that they didn't want it to kill maybe what was it what why did they have such a big problem with the red kites um
1: well they the argument was that the red kites were responsible for killing and taking um livestock, livestock. So presumably sheep goats
0: but I- does that make any sense when they're not How could they possibly be big enough to do something like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, they were falsely accused from the very beginning because they don't. You know, they might walk amongst sheep in a farmer's field, but what they're actually looking for is insects and and rabbits. They're not looking... They don't kill sheep. But, of course, it's like, you know, they they wanted to blame these birds. They've done it for years, and certain wildlife, you know, it's like, you know, in certain other countries where they blame wolves for killing, you know, a whole herd of cattle or something. It's so outrageous that it's ridiculous, but people... It's very hard to change their attitude towards them. Once you demonize a wild animal, or a wild bird, mm-hmm. then people just just carry on demonising.
0: It sounds a little bit like the demonization of uh, herring gulls, and the, like people saying that they can uh, take <laughs> pick up and take away little dogs and things when they don't even have <laughs> they don't even have like the claws to do that, let alone the inclination. So, um, but they are completely demonised, aren't they, uh, gulls? So I assume it's a kind of. It sounds to me like it was just the most ridiculous story and but the the effect not the effect the the consequence is
1: they actually almost went extinct that is just insane it's almost like and once you introduce a bounty Mm. once you start paying people when money's involved absolutely you're going to go out and people are going to kill as many as they possibly can In order to pick up the bounty, and when you're talking about poor people, you know, picking up a bounty for every single one they hand in, you know, once in every country where they've introduced bounties for killing things, wolves were always a prime example, coyotes in North America, uh, bears in some places. Once you introduce a bounty system, then th- there is uncontrolled killing, uncontrolled slaughter, and there's, there's, you know, things will diminish at an alarming rate right. and this was what happened to red kites so we're talking like um
0: you know as late as the 70s they i guess weren't even around in the uk at all they were were they actually extinct were they completely gone
1: yes yeah in, they were oh, sorry in england
0: in not england. obviously not wales but no, in england right.
1: scotland and uh, ireland. northern ireland and ireland yeah they they were locally extinct which meant there were no breeding pairs there and the the when they started to do some research into the birds that were left in wales they realized that the um that genetically they were so closely related that it was unlikely that they were ever going to be able to create a viable population even if they stopped all the persecution the 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 population in Wales was so small, so um, genetically undiverse, mm-hmm. that chances are they were never ever going to be mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. to allow them to spread. They were never going to spread into England naturally Actually. ever.
0: Right. So, um, yeah. Talk to me then about this reintroduction program and literally the the what it physically took to get these birds back um, breeding again in the UK. Well,
1: the it was. Uh, In the 1990s, late 80s, 90s, um, there were discussions being held with um, the government conservation groups, um, which was the the NCC, the the Nature Conservancy Council, which covered the whole of UK. And this is the government department talking to conservationists about how best to try and increase the number of red kites in the country because it was a bird that was missing and it was a niche that was missing as well. And so the the decision was made that they should introduce birds from another country, bring them into the UK and release them in several secret sites because the, the sites that they chose had to be habitat that was really suitable for this bird um, and what do you mind <clears throat> so what kind of habitat is that do you remember it, it has to be um, it has to be parkland with good mature trees for them to nest in the food had to be there so it had to be lots of pasture land where they could find uh, voles farmland where they could go and find worms where there was a healthy population of things like rabbits naturally that they could also Um, feed on. So it it really was about um, choosing their habitat wisely. And of course, the, the Welsh conservationists had an awful lot of experience of conserving red kites. They knew the sort of thing that they needed. They just had to find other places in Scotland and in England and in Northern Ireland where they could actually bring these birds too so it was a little bit like the white-tailed eagle reintroduction that was done in scotland they brought the birds initially they brought the birds um, from spain and what they did was they found healthy nests in spain which had maybe up to three or four young Mm -hmm. they would take one of the young and they would take it into captivity and they would rear it in the area where they were going to release it mm-hmm. until such time as it would have naturally left the nest and they would release them in that area. Um, and it was working quite well, except they discovered an interesting thing they discovered about the Spanish birds is that they're actually, they do move around an awful lot. So when they released these birds on these sites their desire was to go, go back. I
0: was oh, so going to say go back
1: to Spain <laughs> whether they did go back to Spain but yeah in effect they, they migrate locally right. so of course and for them they would be migrating hundreds of miles so what they found was that they didn't really stay around right. they left the area oh dear that's yeah oh. um, so what they did is they, they decided that they would um, bring birds from Sweden instead um, because they were much more localized birds and they didn't tend to migrate very far so they brought those instead and that's when it really really started to become successful that these birds and they were tagged you know they they had these great big tags put on their wings so people could spot them they had some of them had telemetry sets on which is like a little radio transmitter attached to their back so that the conservationists the researchers lots of researchers involved in monitoring these birds at all of the sites so that they could find out exactly where they were going to and keep an eye on them all the time and then um and then but they and what they found was that the birds were staying in these areas and then they started to breed uh, within the areas and then as the population started to grow they started to spread out um and uh, and i mean it was really quite um, a phenomenal rate at which these birds were both breeding successfully and moving out of the original areas. And people were seeing them on the M4, uh, on the side of the road, they were down in Berkshire. People were starting to see them in uh, around Leeds where there was a, a release site up there. Um, and in Scotland, they were really, really doing so well. Um, and even though there have been no incidents of of um of persecution of these birds some of them have succumbed to deliberate poisoning by some people some of them have been shot nevertheless this bird has hung on and hung on and just gone back to doing what it does really well which is being resourceful actually finding its own food being an opportunistic and in the meantime the population in Wales has actually done really well because some of those birds have actually um, increased and gone over into Wales and so the genetic diversity of the ones in Wales has improved because of these new birds coming in and if you think about it to, to have a bird going from extinct yeah. in you know in England and Scotland and, and, and Ireland and Northern Ireland in the 1980s to what is basically forty years later yeah. we saw one today at Paulborough Brooks flying over with the buzzards and and it's just an absolutely wondrous thing and it's amazing I think the, that says so much though about
0: the f- just the fact that they were never meant to go missing in the first place the fact like the fact that the reintroduction has been so successful that they are thriving it kind of just I think speaks volumes about they were never meant to not be here they were like this is it, the fact that it just came so naturally as in it, it didn't it, it sounds like it wasn't a reintroduction program that was kind of you know a uh, touch and go it, it was kind of no bam they've got back on it and do you, do you know what I'm trying to say it's kind of I do of... understand
1: what you mean and, and I think you know there are lots of people who would like to introduce lots of different animals and birds and bring them back into the country these animals and birds that have disappeared over the years over the centuries and people want to bring them back and the first fundamental question you have to ask is why are they not there already yes like what was it, are they not there for natural reasons? Or are they not there for human reasons? Absolutely. So, if you can answer that question, if it is because people mm-hmm. have interfered with them and basically exterminated them. But the habitat is still there. The food is still there. The opportunity for them to find nest sites, the opportunity for them to find each other is still there. You know, that that is what you have to look at. But you cannot bring back an animal if its habitat's gone. You can't bring back an animal or a bird if actually they weren't—they haven't been here in recent history. You can't—you can't really bring back something if it hasn't got its home anymore. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the red kite is that it was always a resourceful bird. It was always a bird that was able to change, change what it eats, change where it lives. Totally and utterly adaptable. I, I remember listening to a program once, and there was—I mean these. When I was working in Wales in the eighties, we would have to walk into um, oak woodland because that's predominantly where these red kites were nesting. We would walk, you know, for maybe half an hour into some remote part of an oak woodland on the side of a hill in Wales to sit and watch this nest. So these birds were incredibly secretive. They'd been forced into the most sort of secure places that they could find. And when they started nesting, After the reintroduction, I can remember there being a radio program on the television, on the the radio, sorry, uh, a program. And it was interviewing a lady and they said to her, we understand you have some really exciting birds in your garden. She said, yes, I do. I have some red kites um, and they nest in my garden. They said, where? And they said, in my Scots pine at the end of my garden. And they said, "Uh, just just and she said, just describe your garden. She said, well, it's fairly normal. It's about it's about 40 foot long Mm -hmm. and about 20 foot wide. <laughs> and and you know and basically she had and, and and they said where do you live? She said on the edge of Reading, yeah. and it's almost like you know I'd had to tromp into what what you could have called wilderness mm-hmm. to find this bird, mm-hmm. and this lady had mm-hmm. them nesting in a Scots pine tree yeah. in her Reading garden. Right. That is how resourceful yeah. uh, this bird was, and how adaptable this bird was. Yeah. I mean, it was a great candidate for reintroduction, really. Right.
0: And um, it, so, do you? You must remember a time then when you did you sort of didn't see these birds, or that uh, coming across one would be just like the most in like magical thing because they're so rare. And then, sort of now seeing them you, like that feeling must just be. Um, like just so exciting
1: for you because you you've seen yeah. the before and the after, yeah. yeah. What I, a great what a great story. It it is it's a it's a fantastic story and I I think it's um it shows that. When you collaborate with other organisations mm-hmm. and you work together and you get the science backing it, mm-hmm. and you know exactly what you're doing, then it is possible to bring back some birds which which have been lost to this country that have never come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think of things like you know redback shrikes, which haven't really been seen since um, the 1970s, and that's a really sad bird. That's a bird that's never come back. Mm-hmm. And I can remember in Wales in the 1980s driving along on my own along a, along a valley and I looked to my left and there was a red kite flying in the valley alongside my car and I screeched to a halt mm-hmm. and I jumped out my car and I got my binoculars and I watched it until it disappeared out of view down the end of the valley mm-hmm. and I remember looking around thinking oh my goodness I have no one to share this with because it was like the moment was magical and there was nobody there with me and i always just wanted to jump up and down and say i've just seen a red kite i've just seen a red kite and now they fly over my house in east yorkshire right i always i always say if you if you <laughs> if you're driving along and you see a, you see a bird and you are forced to, to screech to a halt and jump out and look at it and watch yeah. it for half an hour, mm-hmm. That's, it's got to be something really special. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah there, 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 aren't, there aren't many birds that sort of do that for you yeah. in, in England anymore. But, yeah, I mean, that was one of those moments that I just thought, this is so mm-hmm. utterly, utterly magical. Mm-hmm. And it also made me think, if this bird is lost to this country, it would be an absolute tragedy mm-hmm and uh and I just think it's absolutely wonderful the way that that now everybody gets that moment that I had on that Welsh road Mm -hmm. because particularly people who understand the story of this bird Mm -hmm. um that there are so many people who can relive that experience that I had back in the 80s and just get so excited about just seeing it yeah
0: you um what what an amazing success story and you know I just want to say thank you for the work that you and these other organizations did to to make this happen and also so I also hope now that when people see red kites they they stop and think about actually they they weren't here like 40 years ago and think about the you know the work that's been done to bring them back and the fact that actually it's actually very special that we're now that we see them um even if you see them regularly i mean you're you're very lucky and uh it that work, they, you wouldn't be able to see them if it wasn't for the the reintroduction program so yeah thank you so much for telling us about that karen what a wonderful wonderful story and thank you for the work you did thank uh, you. Thank <laughs> you. you're welcome <laughs> so hope to have you on again soon um thank you and until next time bye, bye bye <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if you have any birdie questions you'd like me to explore in this podcast, you can get in touch via my Instagram at winging it with Holly.